Hi everybody, I'm Alice and welcome to Creative, the podcast where creative people share their experiences about working in those industries. In each episode, I will discuss with a guest about their career, their life story, their art and the humanness in between. So sit back, relax and join us for today's episode. Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of Creative, the podcast that provides a space for creative people to tell us more about their career, their life stories and the humanness in between. Okay, beautiful people, I'm not gonna lie here, I'm like stressed, but it's a good stress, I'm excited because, no, I'm not excited, I'm gonna use a big word, I'm ecstatic, I'm gonna put some sparkling sound around this word. I'm ecstatic because today I have the chance to talk with my favorite person from the internet. So today, guests come from Brooklyn, New York. She is a creative, a content creator, and a podcast host. She's just this ball of joy and honesty. And like, did I already mention that I freaking love her? Like, ah, I'm going to say it again. I freaking love her. Sorry for the hype, but you know, I'm going to gas you up all this podcast. <laughs> so give a big welcome to Maddie Drasbeck. Hi, Maddie. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you. You're so welcome. I'm just so excited that you said yes for that. I'm just yeah. grateful. <laughs> like, I think you can. Of course. If you want to know more about Maddie and her story, just sit back, relax and enjoy this episode. Okay, so Maggie, I wanted to go back on memory lane. Where did you grow up? How was your childhood like? Were you always drawn to like creative things in general? Yeah, so I grew up in a pretty small town in Massachusetts. Uh, just my two parents, and then I have three younger siblings. So I was the oldest of four, and. For as long as I can remember, I have loved being the center of attention. <laughs> I don't know if it's just like oldest child syndrome or what, but when I since I was very little, like I loved putting on shows for my parents and siblings and I was very bossy as a kid and so I would cast all my siblings in all these plays and you know force them to do big performances every Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um I always did theater growing up. And I got into video pretty young. My dad used to have a like a VHS video camera that he would uh, record all of us on as kids. And I think, you know, the more kids that my parents had, the less interested they got in like taking all the family photos and videos. So at some point, it was probably like right when YouTube came out. So I was probably like 10 years old or maybe younger, eight or nine when YouTube first came out. I don't know how old you are in the fourth grade. I was in the fourth grade though. <laughs> and um, I remember when YouTube came out, like I was so interested in it and I didn't make an account at first because I was like a little baby child, but I used to record videos straight onto my dad's VHS camera so we could take out the tape and like throw it in uh, the TV and just watch the videos back straight. And so that was when I started to get interested in video. And then I got a little older, middle school came around and that's when I had like a hundred YouTube channels with all of my friends at the time. And it was just like a new YouTube channel for every idea, every like show concept we had. We did like makeover shows. We did like a lot of skits or we would write out like one time I wrote, I scripted out an entire episode of Sweet Life of Zach and Cody. Uh, so all of my friends, we could cast each other as different parts and memorize the lines and then try to like redo it on our own. So like that was my childhood. It was always like making videos, doing theater, doing dance. Uh, I have always loved uh, being in front of an audience and creating content. So that was sort of how it started for me. <laughs> yeah. So. First of all, I have to watch this kit about the sweet life of Sassy Cody because <laughs> it was my favorite series when I was growing up. So I need to watch that. So Little Maddie grew up and when do your interest for media and content creation and just creativity came into the picture? Yeah, so I feel like 
when I was in middle school, it was really like with the growth of YouTube, because I remember when the website first came out, like watching some of the first YouTube videos, like sitting around the kitchen table with my friends after school, watching those videos, um, shoes, muffins, Charlie, the unicorn, and anything Fred was making at the time, like being so obsessed with all of it. And so I think like with the birth of internet creators, I was just enthralled with it from the jump. And um, when I was in seventh grade, I don't know why I was always so scared to ask my dad if I could like make a YouTube channel just on my own. I guess in my head, I was like, it's different when I'm like, making videos with my friends and we're just like uploading them randomly. Like I felt like I needed to ask my parents permission to like be a YouTuber. Cause in my head, there was a difference between like uploading random videos on the internet that nobody's going to see versus like actually trying to grow an audience online. So it was the summer after seventh grade, July 10th, 2010 to be exact. <laughs> and over like the six months before that music videos became huge on YouTube and everyone was making like music video reenactments of TikTok by Kesha. And I wanted so badly to be in that world and make those videos just like all those other kids did. So I asked my dad if I could make a YouTube channel. He said, go ahead. And on that day I was like, I'm going to be a YouTuber. So I was like 13 years old at the time I made, I was already making videos before then, but that was like the first video that I posted out with the intention of like, this is a thing now. And, um, so that's like when I started really getting into making YouTube, it's when I got really involved in like the community of online creators online. And like, um, I've always been very interested in like celebrity culture as well. So I feel like it sort of merged together with some pre-existing interests of mine with like larger music movies and celebrities. And now all of a sudden there was this a group of online celebrity that was still new at the time. This like idea of a influencer wasn't really a thing just yet. It was like just starting to come about that someone could like grow a career on the internet at that time. Um, and so that was really when it all started for me, 2010. <laughs> okay. So do you consider it like your creative birth? Yeah, a hundred percent. Okay. Did you go to college or did you get an uh, institutional education? And if so, what did you learn from it? And what did you like apply now to your creative process as a content creator? Yeah, definitely. So I went to college for film. I uh, had my bachelor's degree and I felt like going to film school, because I'd already been making videos for so many years at that point. So I had like a, a basic understanding of like, you know, I can pick up any editing software. Uh, I'm interested in social media style content mostly, but I also do love TV and movies and I wanted to be an actress when I was a kid. So I already had like a, you know, like a, a good understanding of video production before going to college. And so I feel like college for me and getting my degree in film ended up helping me a lot because I feel like for those four years, uh, being able to create and number one, always be held accountable for the things you're creating. It's like, well, you have to make something because this is graded and you have to complete this. So there's no like, um, oh, like procrastination or, you know, putting things off and, thinking I'm not, this isn't done yet. This isn't ready yet. Like you have to, at some point, just let it go, even when it's imperfect and be like, well, I have to submit this because I have to get a grade for this. Um, and I think that sort of accountability and repetition was really great for my growth as a creator. Um, especially being someone that wanted to eventually get to a place where I could be my own boss and, um, you know, make any type of content that I wanted. If I was ever going to get to a place where I could do that, I needed to get really good at being on top of myself and learning how to hold myself accountable to the things that I was creating if I wanted to actually make a living doing all of this. Yeah. Um, and the other great thing about college is that it's, it's one of the only places where you can get like constant feedback from people that are also creating 
in the same way that you are. So it's like, you feel like you're on a team with these people where it's like, okay, we're all learning at the same time. We're all in the same space and we can all like give and receive feedback to each other. And you know that you're all like, you know, you're coming from a similar spot. Nobody's talking down to you because everyone in here is learning. I think it's, once you're out of school, those like learning environments where you can get meaningful feedback from people that are also in the process of learning, like that's rare to come by. And so I feel like those two parts of college were, I feel like the most impactful for me. Obviously I learned a lot of like technical stuff. I took a few screenwriting classes when I was in college. So I think that's helped me a lot in terms of like seeing what a story looks like inside my head and figuring out how to um, take what I learned about storytelling in film school and apply it to social media content and um, like how to take what I feel as a person and then, you know, take those emotions and mold it into something that makes sense to other people and that resonates with other people. Um, I, I think college helped me a lot with things like that. Um, but overall, I think it was more just like being in an environment with a ton of other creative people that were all in the process of learning and getting to hold, being forced to be accountable because you had so much riding on it, your grades, uh, you know, your teachers are holding you accountable, your peers are holding you accountable. I think that was just like a, a great environment for me to grow in as someone who wanted to eventually be self-employed. Yeah, it's, it's something that I sense from your video, like this sense of responsibility and planning and just be accountable for what you are doing. So I, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> College Maddie is not in college anymore. So yeah. Could you describe to us like the content creator life? What does it mean in terms of creative process, schedule, networking, and what is your typical day to day? Because, you know, there is a lot of, misconception about this job so just deconcept this concept for us yeah totally so I graduated college in 2019 and I didn't become a full-time content creator until December 2021 so it hasn't even been a full year yet um, I had a full-time job uh, right after college I started working in influencer marketing I was editing videos for other influencers I was editing ads for brands Um, and then I moved on to doing uh, social media and influencer marketing for a skincare brand. And so that's what my like nine to five was while I was working on growing my channel over the last few years. So it was like nine to five, I would be working with brands, doing my like desk job. And then I would come home and I would work on my YouTube videos and I would, you know, do it nights and weekends. Um, and so this like, whole doing it full-time and like being a full-time content creator is still very new to me. And I feel like I'm still very much finding my footing a lot of the time and learning what works and what doesn't work for me. Um, I'm a very organized, very structured person. And sometimes I do find myself having to take a step back and be like, you can enjoy this part of your life. Like you wanted this for so many years. You spent all of your young life, like dreaming of the day where you could work for yourself and get to create uh, on your own terms. And now you have it and you're structuring yourself all the time. And like always, like I force myself to work a nine to five schedule most of the time where I'm usually working Monday through Friday, nine to five you know, it switches around. If I'm editing a video, I'll stay up and finish the video for as long as it's going to take me. But um, I, I'm still pretty structured in the way that I'm working. I don't want to be though. I think that I, I would love to like live a more creative lifestyle and do, a, you know, function on a more creative schedule. But for right now, it's usually like um, I'm putting out usually one podcast and one YouTube video a week, sometimes more, sometimes less, you know, it's never exact. I don't have posting days on my YouTube. I try to post every Wednesday on my podcast, but it's hard <laughs> being like just one person trying to do everything. So usually like my early half of the week is planning. So on Mondays, I'm, you know, planning out future videos, planning out the topics of the podcast, planning whatever I have to do. I don't have a manager, so I'm negotiating my own brand deals. Um, I'm just like keeping everything in check, trying to make sure that I will be able to pay my bills month to month. 
Um, so beginning of the week, that's usually what I'm getting on top of revisiting emails from the weekend. Cause I try to, when I'm taking a day off, I try to just actually take a day off. Um, then Tuesday, I'm usually recording the podcast and editing the podcast. So I'll record in the morning, edit in the afternoon. Wednesday, I post the podcast and I will start shooting my YouTube video for the following week. And then usually I will spend Wednesday and Thursday, sometimes Friday also editing my YouTube videos. My YouTube videos take me forever to complete. Part of it is because I do a lot of uh, editing with the videos. But uh, the other part of it is I'm just like a perfectionist and I've been doing this for so many years that it's like, this is my baby and I love it so much. And so I'm like very particular about how I like to do everything. Um, yeah, and then of course there's like little things in there as well. I also post on Instagram and TikTok. So I'm usually also trying to uh, plan content for those social platforms as well, post throughout my day, uh, just like keep people in the loop. But that's like the general schedule that I try to stick to is like planning, Two days to work on the podcast, two days to work on my YouTube video for the week. Um, but yeah, it's definitely not exact every single week. It, it tends to be different. And I'm trying to let go of the nine to five schedule and work a little bit more uh, intuitively. I think when I quit my job in December and I jumped into doing this full time, the thing that I was most excited about was being able to work intuitively and be able to wake up and be like, you know what, I actually need to take a day off today because my heart needs it and my brain needs it. And I'm my own boss. So if I don't want to work today, no one's going to force me to. And I think I've been trying to stay good at that. I've been great at it this week, believe it or not, but usually I'm not. <laughs> but like this week, for example, I was working a lot like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And then yesterday I woke up and it was a beautiful day outside. It's been raining for like the past six days in New York. And yesterday I woke up and it was beautiful. And I was like, you know what? We're not working today. I'm going to go take my book and go drink coffee and read outside somewhere. And so sometimes my weeks end up looking like that where I'm supposed to do one thing, but that I end up totally uh, rerouting it. So changes every single week, but it's always, you know, it comes down to getting the podcast and the YouTube video done at the end of it all. Yeah. Sorry, because I have to say, I have a visual like mindset. So I really like try to see and visualize <laughs> what you are saying. And the only thing that I could visualize was like your visit card, many trust back, businesswoman, <laughs> but also content creator. <laughs> Because your schedule seems really intense, but I am myself like a very structured and organized person. So I'm like, oh my God, I can totally relate. Yeah. I, I'm going to name you like that, money respect businesswoman nowadays. <laughs> It's like that. I just wanted to go back on one thing that you said. It hasn't been a year yet since you are a content creator. And... Mm -hmm. I want to know how could you describe your DNA? Because one thing that I really loved about you is like, first of all, you like purple and it's my favorite color. So it's the best color. <laughs> <laughs> But you just have this distinct image and DNA in your platform that just you can see your platform somewhere else that your platform. How do you stay grounded in yourself and how did you discover your strength and just apply it on YouTube? Yeah, um, I think it's been like a lot of trial and error over the years. I, I think it's, it's funny because I feel like I very much have grown into my strength as a creator because it's, you know, my YouTube channel didn't start taking up traction and really building an audience until I was 10 years in. So I had been making videos for 10 years on a regular basis and not really ever seeing that much growth from it. Um, and I used to feel so discouraged at the time and be like, why doesn't anyone like my videos? Like I'm working so hard on them. And like, all I want is to be like these bigger creators that get to do this for a living. And I would compare myself to other people. And I would sometimes be like, oh, this is unfair because I, I work so hard and I feel like I deserve what they have too. And I 
it's funny now to look back on because when my videos started picking up traction, it was uh, towards the end of 2020 when it like started to pick up. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I had just started posting videos again after taking an eight month break because I was in a massive creative block after graduating college. And after graduating college, I was like, I don't know what to do with my life. <laughs> I've wanted to do YouTube for my entire life. Uh, it's been almost 10 years now, and I've still gotten nowhere close to getting where I want to be with it. And I felt pretty discouraged. And, you know, I was, I had a full-time job that I was working on. So I, I was able to just be like, oh, you know what? I'm just not even going to do YouTube for eight months. And then the pandemic hit and there was something about being stuck in my bedroom and being like, well, this is a challenge. How can you make something creative and meaningful just within these four walls? And there was something about that challenge that like ignited me a little bit and made me feel super inspired and like, okay. Like, I feel like I have so much to talk about. I have so many opinions. I think I have a lot to share. How can we make that interesting how can I make a short film just in this room? There's got to be an interesting way to capture it. And maybe I can tap into my creative brain to complete this sort of challenge. And so I made a video called Why I Stopped Wearing Bras. At that point, I had not worn a bra for like a year. And I was like, well, that's an interesting story. That's something about myself that I've never talked about on the internet. Nobody knows that I stopped wearing bras a year ago, but I think that's interesting. And I think that I have a lot to say about what I've learned over the last year. And so I made a video in my old bedroom beginning of the pandemic about why I stopped wearing bras and it did super well. And I was like, okay, there's so many other things that I can do just like this. And so I was, you know, working back in trying to get my groove going. And then I feel like I just started as I kept going, as I started making more, I kept like finding new ways to tap into parts of myself, uh, ideas that I have stories that are in me and taking like the filmmaker side of my brain to be like, let's turn this into something that people are going to resonate with. So then I made like my, how to take your best nudes video that summer. And I ended up, you know, six months later, I'm making videos about fashion, why I don't shave for hookups, uh, my video about um, feeling confident with saggy boobs and like all of the body image content that I'd always made on my channel. But um, talking more about what I was experiencing right then and now, um, as opposed to like, I don't know, maybe talking about things at more of a grand scale, like I had done in the past, talking about like my experience in high school with body image, instead of doing something like that, like, let's talk about what is happening right now as I'm, you know, 23 years old at the time, uh, living in New York. And I feel like when my channel started to, you know, take off early 2021, and it started to become a possibility that I could actually quit my job and do it full time. I feel like I was like just hitting video after video after video at that period in my life. I feel like I, once I figured out how to like tap into what am I in interested in this week? What do I have a lot to talk about? And how can I find a creative way to tell that story? Um, I just got into like a rhythm with it. And I feel like now the way that I view my content online is very much like, what inspires you this week? What are you thinking about? And so much of my content turned into content about dating or not dating rather. Uh, I took a year off dating and then now I'm dating again. And so my content has taken like a natural turn towards a lot more dating stuff now. So I feel like the stuff that I'm talking about has changed as my interests have changed as a person. And I feel like week after week now, I'm just sort of asking myself, what are you thinking about? What are you texting your friends about? What are you talking to your therapist about? And what can you pull from that that you think other people are thinking about as well? How can we start a conversation um, and like turn this into a little short film so that people can come to my channel, they can hear what I'm thinking about, 
they can, you know, hear maybe parts of their own life reflected in my own stories and make it an interesting video to watch in the process. Yeah. Um, yeah. So one of the many things that I love about you, Maddie, and your platform is that you succeeded to create this microcosm of joy where, you know, existing in that body is a no-brainer. And, you know, and we are living in societies where fat bodies are constantly oppressed. And I just find joy in seeing you and other content creators, especially women of coming from marginalized communities. I just find joy in seeing you and others talking about their desires or having fun or just sharing the ebbs and flow of life without limiting yourself because of like six social norms. And I just think people thriving without constantly proving that your life and your existence are not up for debate. Are you aware of that, that your platform and you have this effect on people? And if so, why do you think it is important to include this principle as a content creator, this principle of social responsibility in your line of work? Yeah, definitely. I'm for sure aware of it. And I, I feel like, um, not that I make my content for specific people, because um, I think that lots of people can enjoy my content, but a sentiment that I've been thinking a lot, and I mentioned it in the podcast that I did this past week, but I was talking about how I, I have no intention or I don't have any desire to want to change everybody's mind or change everyone's opinion. I am not here to, you know, fight with every single fat phobic person on the internet. That's not what I care about. I make content so that people can feel relief. So that people who connect with me, that relate to me, whether that is another fat creator or it's someone that relates to my struggles with self-esteem in dating, um, in body image in general. Uh, if, if you're someone that connects with me in any way, I want you to be able to watch my videos and feel like, oh, thank God, someone else thinks this. Someone else is going through this. I want my content to just feel like relief to people because I know that the content that has impacted me the most in my life has been content that provided that same thing. Like one of, I started making videos about body image when I was in high school and I just started writing poetry at the time. I was just introduced to the body positive movement and the first like glimpse that I ever saw into like body positivity and fat liberation was a video that came up on my Facebook feed. And it was of four plus size women at the beach in uh, two piece bathing suits. They were in bikinis and they were just having the best time ever. It was just that joy. They were, you know, dancing on the beach. They were bouncing around and they were talking about how much fun it was, how good they felt. Um, just embracing their bodies exactly as they were. And at that time in my life, I was 16 years old, probably. And I had never seen a fat person wear a bikini before. And I saw them and I was so struck by it because at that time in my life, I thought that I wasn't allowed to wear a bikini. I thought that I had to lose weight in order to get to that place in my life. And so to be able to observe someone else that I could see parts of myself and experience something like that, I was like, oh, that's amazing. Can I do that too? And this led me down a rabbit hole of like finding other plus size creators, finding other people on the internet that created these spaces where you could just log on to their page and consume their content and feel like a wave of relief and a wave of like all of these things you have thought about yourself, all these rules you have given yourself, they don't exist here. And maybe, just maybe, we could get to a place eventually where these rules didn't exist in our day-to-day -day lives either. And so I think it, I mean, it took me a long time to feel comfortable with my body in the way that I feel comfortable with it now. But I think that, I mean, right after I saw those videos, I started making content about body image online. And it wasn't that I was all of a sudden like, oh, now I feel good about myself. That wasn't the case. It was this part of like 
I want to be able to share with people where I'm at right now, because there's so many other people that feel the way that I feel right now. And I think that that's been something that has been like a center piece of my content as I've grown is that like, I am not trying to act like I am the most healed, well-adjusted version of myself. I will talk to everybody about what I talk about in therapy every single week, what I'm struggling with, what I'm reflecting on. I've cried more times than I can count on the internet. And it's because I think that like just sharing our honest experiences and giving people a space to be like, oh my God, I feel so much relief. I feel that too. And here's this person with an audience feeling comfortable sharing this with people and being brave to share this story. Like that makes me feel like I can be brave too. And I think there's some, there's so much power in just like showing up exactly as you are um, because it makes other people feel like they can show up exactly as they are too. And um, I, I think like the more, the more that I got into it, the more content that I made and the more of like the reaction that I saw from people, the more that I have just like, I mean, it, it contributes so much to why I continue to share the amount that I do online um, because I see like how meaningful it is and how meaningful it was to me growing up as well to have creators that did the same. Yeah, yeah. I love that your answer just shed light on the importance of representation because one of the subjects that I really like diversity and living in a white suburb as a Black girl I felt like just really strange, like like I was an alien. And people made me aware of that, that like I was an alien. And personally, the moment that I, I've seen Lizzo, for example, I was like, oh my God, she's twerking and she's singing and she's doing this cute <laughs> and she's married. But no, she don't give a fuck about that. And she... <laughs> I was really like, my brain was starting from that moment. I was like, I don't fucking care about your opinion. And that's why but when I discovered your, your videos and your platform, I was like, I love that. <laughs> I love just <laughs> that's one of my favorite videos of yours. Is, I think it was where when you were taking pictures of you as portrait of fat women. I was like, that's so awesome like she's a badass <laughs> this is that was so so great and you know on your channel as a loyal viewer like myself many of your videos shed light on sex positivity and body and sexuality whether it's talking about it in your videos or through your brand partnership and that's something that you don't see everywhere so I wanted to know why did you find it important to shed light on this particular part of womanhood yeah I feel like I, I don't I guess it's a few things part of it I guess comes from the fact that I figured out like halfway through high school early into college that I am just more comfortable talking about taboo subjects than most people are <laughs> I feel like I would always like, you know, I would be in high school. I'd be like bringing up masturbation to some of my friends and they'd be like, oh my God, like they'd be like gasping. I'm like, like, I would always just be like, so guys, like, uh, like what's your favorite, uh, like, you know, what do you usually masturbate to? Like, do you guys watch porn? You just like doing it based off thoughts inside your head. And they'd all be like looking around the room, like didn't want to answer the question. And I always, I just feel like that, especially going into college and having to like make a whole new group of friends, um, I realized that like, I just don't feel uncomfortable talking about those types of things. And I, you know, I was very sexually adventurous when I was in college and I learned a lot during that time of my life. And I uh, feel like because I learned a lot and because I look back and I'm like, oh God, she was so stupid. Like I, I want to like be able to save uh, or not save, but help out like people who can relate to the person that I was when I was in college, I'm like, okay, well, here I am. I feel very comfortable talking about these things. And I've learned a lot. And I feel like I have a lot to share in like the department of talking about sex and hookups and setting boundaries and learning what you feel comfortable with in the bedroom and how to explore those things and how to, 
you know, prioritize pleasure, not only within partnerships, but within your relationship with yourself. And so I feel like just like these two things combined of like having a lot of learnings and experiences um, that were not so good, but it's like, okay, we had all these bad experiences. Let's take something away from it. I've learned a lot from it and I feel like I have a lot to share and I feel comfortable sharing it. So might as well. Cause I think that like conversations about sex, that's something I think about all the time is if I had had someone to talk to about sex in college, if I had like an older sister that was comfortable telling me all of these things, I might not have made a lot of the choices that I made back then. And I, a lot of it comes down to like lack of education where Schools aren't teaching kids about safe sex. They're not teaching them about setting boundaries. They're not encouraging them to explore what pleasure looks like to them. They're, nobody's encouraging young people to focus on and prioritize creating a healthy relationship with pleasure. And so I feel like a lot of people end up exploring a lot in college, making a lot of mistakes in college. And, you know, I'm not going to say I regret the choices that I made, but I, if I could redo it now, I would do things a lot differently. And a lot of that comes down to like, at the time I didn't have the sex education that I have now. I didn't know as much. And, um, I feel like if I can be a resource to people, if I can take what I've learned in my life, if I can help people feel more comfortable with sex, with setting boundaries, with asking questions, I think it's just, it has like a net positive effect because as like a, as like a world, I think we all need to be talking about sex more often. Um, but it's still a super taboo subject as it stands. Yeah. It's important that we can have resources like yours and your platform to talk about these things because Personally, I think when you make something taboo, you are just increasing the risk of misconceptions in people's minds, and especially about sex. It's really something that we shouldn't put shame on it because we have the internet now. And, you know, the children are not dumb, <laughs> okay? Yeah. They can go on the internet and discover these things and see, like, pretty disturbing things to not see <laughs> at this this age yeah. and this is important especially for women i think because the lack of sex education is a, astonishing for me it's important for yeah. young girls and just young people in general okay so like every other job i'm sure that yours must come with its shares of responsibilities and difficulties and I wanted to know could you tell us more about what type of difficulties you faced while building your career or just are facing right now what are your ways to overcome those hmm. um well I feel like it's hard in a lot of ways because social media is wildly unpredictable <laughs> <laughs> so as, as hard as we can try to predict what's going to do well online, what's going to resonate with people, um, it changes so quickly. So I think a lot of times, like what is the hardest about this career is not always knowing if what I'm going to make is going to resonate with people or if like the algorithm is going to shoot the content down because I am talking about more taboo subjects that they're not going to promote the video. It's not going to show up in people's recommended. Uh, it's not going to get monetized and I'm not going to get paid. So it, there, there's that aspect of it. And then there's the other aspect of, okay, because I am making content about these types of topics, a lot of brands aren't going to want to work with me. And I end up isolating myself from a lot of brands that are paying a lot of other influencers, large amounts of money, paying their bills. And they're not going to want to work with someone like me because I talk about sex too much because I'm, you know, talking about the subjects that I am and the way that I am. And I, you know, I'm not going to hold back. I'm not going to change what I'm talking about or um, the type of content I make for that, but that, you know, it takes a large chunk of brands out of, my uh, offering. And so I've been lucky to be able to work with 
uh, a ton of my favorite brands. I feel like I'm mostly, I mean, I pay most, my bills are paid by sponsorships. So I am like so grateful to the companies that have been in long-term relationships with me. And usually it's the sex companies that are paying me, you know, you know, it's, it's companies that are in the sexual wellness space that want to work with a creator like me. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful that they've wanted to work with me for long periods of time. Um, and that it's worked out well so far, because, you know, that that's a part of the hard part about, especially doing this full time is like, I mean, these brands could pull out tomorrow. They could tell me, we don't have the budget for you anymore. Sorry, money, bye. And I would be sitting here like, oh, what? Hello? I'm like, yeah, I need somebody else. Like, um, it, It's hard to, you know, have consistent income. And I've been lucky with it so far, but there's always like a risk of it running out or ending. And I think um, the other aspect of it that I found kind of challenging is another huge aspect of my content is fashion content. And I make a lot of fashion stuff on YouTube, um, a lot on Instagram and TikTok as well. And there is a, a huge difference in the way that thin fashion influencers are treated and the way the plus size fashion influencers are treated. And I, I think that, you know, overall, I try not to even let myself be bothered by this kind of stuff because it feels so like, I don't know, just unproductive and kind of meaningless at the end of the day. Um, But I, I, you know, I'd be lying if I said it didn't sometimes get to me when I am seeing all of these events go on in New York that all of the thin girls are invited to and the plus size girls just aren't. I don't get invited to these events. I didn't get invited to one New York Fashion Week event. And I was so glad that I was on vacation that week because I was like, okay, well, it doesn't matter because I'm not even in New York anyways. But if I was in New York that week and I was seeing all of the thin fashion influencers get invited to event after event after event, and I didn't see one invitation in my inbox, that hurts my feelings a little bit, you know? And I think it's hard because you're trying to sort of get your name in there. You want to get your foot in the door. You want these brands to recognize you as like someone who can, um, you know, put together a goddamn good outfit and influence other people to uh, change up their styles in the same way that you are. That would mean a lot to me to be recognized by brands in that way. Um, But it's just harder because a lot of brands won't recognize plus size creators like that because we don't fit the aesthetic of their brand. And um, that's hard. So at the end of the day, it's like, oh, okay, well, what does it matter anyways, to be recognized by a brand for your fashion sense? Like I'm going to have fun and do my own thing. And, you know, if I never get invited to a New York fashion week event, then that's fine. But sometimes it does feel like, well, damn, that sucks that I'm trying so hard and I'm working so hard to be recognized in this space. And because I'm a plus size creator, it's just going to be harder. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Like they are dumb. Really? Like <laughs> <laughs> when you were like talking about that, I was like, man, is it men? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it's like, it starts to feel like a cool kids club where it's like yeah. only some people are invited in and yeah. it like, you know, it doesn't matter how cool you are, how, unique your fashion senses how much you are contributing to the fashion space um if you're not thin you just you just have a a smaller chance of getting a seat at the table yeah and in a sector like fashion when you like fashion it's really complicated it's a complicated relationship because me too I like fashion and during fashion week in Paris New York and all of that I was like well you're a little bit full of shit because (laughs) you want to be inclusive and show diversity but where are the women that are 50 or plus where are the women or just people who are living with a disability where are the women like just plus size women that have a tummy you know (laughs) plus size women are not like with a flat tummy or just a really beautiful face there are so much kind of people and you are just trying to create a an aesthetic of the 
fat girl and the black girl. So I'm thinking, do I really want to work in fashion? It's something that we should take in consideration because we are going to work in fashion and we are going to fuck it. Yeah, yeah change it from the, the inside out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah you're, yeah, yeah, you're totally right, though. I feel like uh, a lot of the times with the brands um, that, you know, they want to pat themselves on the back for you know, how diverse their show is and how inclusive their show is, but they're doing like the minimum possible effort. So it's like, oh, well, we included a plus size girl. I'm going to pat myself on the back. But then, you know, they're including a size 16 plus size model with a flat stomach. It's like the, the most societally acceptable plus size figure you can find. And you're going to use that and then pat yourself on the back. It's not enough. <laughs> like, I, I feel like that's also the hard part as well, where I think about like, okay, well, in this hypothetical world, let's say I did get invited to a ton of fashion week events and I was being recognized and, you know, asked to be more involved. That still wouldn't be great if I was the only one, you know, like if, if it's creators that look like me that are being invited and not creators that are bigger than me then like that that sucks because I'm a size 16 18 I don't have a flat stomach I definitely you know I'm short so I end up looking I have a much curvier fuller figure than you know some other size 16 18s might look like but at the end of the day I'm a size 16 18 so the biggest size that you're inviting to the table is a size 16 18 it's not great it's not looking good yeah 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 so Something I wanted to congratulate you for is launching your podcast emotionally online. Thank you. And I've seen all the episodes. I just love them. And <laughs> Thank you so I much. really love that that summer party theme and the intimacy that comes with it. And when I heard in your first episode that you work on it six months, it made me immediately think how nerve-breaking it had been for you just create this yeah. podcast what is your standpoint on the importance and therefore the pressure of finding a medium or media to watch your character and your message as a content creator and just the importance of creating across different platforms hmm. yeah i i feel like different platforms sort of offer you different different things, different conversations are better suited for different platforms. And so I really wanted to have a podcast to just be able to sit and have more stream of consciousness conversations and also talk about things that I would never talk about on my main channel. Cause it's like, well, that just has nothing to do with the content that I make. So it's like, if I really want to talk about TikTok drama. I'm not going to make a YouTube video about TikTok drama, but if I want to just like sit on my podcast and be like, guys, you got to listen to this one. Like, that's fun. And that's just like, you know, it's, it's something that I have a lot of interest in. I'm a big internet fan. I'm a YouTube fan. I love celebrity gossip, internet gossip. I'm here for a good time. And so as much as I love having a ton of like serious conversations, I also like the stupid conversations. And so my podcast to me was a way to have more long-term, long-form uh, like serious heart-to-heart -heart conversations, but to also have a lot of stupid, fun, like silly conversations and just have more, uh, more fun and connect with my audience in a different way. Um, and I think similarly, like looking at the stuff that I post on Instagram versus YouTube or, you know, YouTube versus TikTok, like it's a similar energy, but I, I do different like subjects and talk about different things on every platform because I think that some platforms are just better suited for certain topics yeah. or, or like, you know, with my YouTube videos, it's like, there's a visual aspect with the podcast. There isn't, I'm just sitting there talking. So if there is something that I want to create, if there's a story that I want to tell, but there's a visual to, I'll tell that story on my YouTube channel. But if it's just like, you know, besties having a glass of wine, having a conversation, then I'll take it to the podcast. And I, it just allowed me so much more uh, creative freedom Uh, to be able to like take any idea that comes into my head and be like, we've got a place for that. We can talk about that somewhere. And I think it's also just been fun to be able to connect with my audience in a brand new way and talk about so many new things and, you know, just figure out like more things that I have in common with my audience. <laughs> That's been a lot of fun as well. 
So, Maddie, I wanted to ask you about mistakes and trials and errors, like you said earlier. And I wanted to know, is there mistakes you are, I don't want to say proud, but you are thankful to have done because you couldn't be where you are now without them? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I think that like, you know, as much as I would love to be like, I wish that nothing bad has ever happened to me in my life. Because <laughs> wouldn't that be great if, if, you know, I could have grown up without having, you know, trouble with my body image or without going through that phase in college where I was very sexual and very, you know, out there. Um Of course, there are times where maybe I look back and I wish that things could be different. But I think that at the end of it all, like the reason why, and it's corny, but the reason why I am who I am now, the reason why I make the content that I make now is because of all that. So there's a world where if that didn't happen, I wouldn't be where I am right now. I wouldn't have the career I have. I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing right now. So Though there are definitely things that I look back on and cringe at, I try not to regret any of those moments because I do feel like um, they were super necessary to my growth as a person. Yeah. So most people know that being a content creator requires a lot of your time on social media and on the internet in general. With content creation, you can really be stuck in a vicious cycle where your performativity just sucks all of the fun of being creative. And when your job is to associate everything with, how can I gain profit out of this? At the end, you don't have the energy to be creative anymore. Like you said about college, where after college, you were in a creative block. It's the same. What are your ways to avoid overconsumption and over fatigue how do you set your boundaries between your creativity and your performativity and uh, how do you how do you nurture the two separately yeah this is a great question and I think this is something that I'm still working on figuring out this is like something I think about a lot in like you know now that I'm doing this full-time and adjusting to this full-time like how to set good boundaries with myself and the internet. And like my job is to create, but I'm also a huge YouTube fan. And so I'm consuming so much content on the internet at all times. Um, I'm like always plugged in. And as much as it's like a habit at this point, because it's been my whole life and like, this has been my hobby my whole life. Now it's my job. And, you know, it, it is the most fun job ever. This is, you know, all things considered, this job is easy as hell. <laughs> you know, it, it's fun. I just get to make whatever I want for a living and have fun doing it. And so honestly, part of what helps me stay creative is just keeping it fun. <laughs> I feel like I, you know, yes, this is my job. Yes, this is what pays my bills. And like money is right on, on this now. Um, but I know that the only way to keep money flowing is to keep me creative. So if what's keeping me creative is going to be taking breaks to be offline, to turn my phone off, to not consume a ton of content on the internet and not compare myself to what other people are doing. Um, then that's what I'm going to do. So I feel like I have been trying to create better boundaries with myself and like how much of my life that I spend online. And I've been trying to just sort of chill out a little bit because <laughs> I think that I start to get uninspired and I start to struggle when I compare myself to other people too much or when I start to like, you know, I start to feel pressure to like have every video be my best video, which just like yeah. isn't realistic for any creative person. And so I think that like when I force myself to take a step back, take time offline, let myself get re-inspired by my day-to-day -day life. And remember, like at the end of the day, I have been put in a position where I get to do my hobby for a job. The thing that I did on weekends since I was 13 years old is now the thing that pays my bills. Um, like I, I just want to keep, keep the feeling that I had with YouTube, with creating the past 10 years now that I'm doing it full-time. Yeah. So I always want to 
just keep it fun, keep it light, take breaks as I need to. And like, um, try not to bully myself too much to always be hitting with every single video, always be, you know, the next best thing, always hitting with the algorithm, like trying not to beat myself up a bit video doesn't perform the way I want it to. Um, and just trying to, you know, take care of myself and my day-to-day life. Cause I think that reflects in the content that I end up making. Yeah. You can sense it in your videos. I think I just said this phrase too much now, but <laughs> you can sense it in your videos. You sense this healthy relationship that you have with like social media. And that's just great because not every people have this. And I don't think personally that I have this, but like people like you inspire me to just, you know, dissociate creativity and performativity. Thank you. I feel like yeah. it's, it's, a uh, it's very much a back and forth and it's something that like grows with time. Cause I think that like, creativity is always going to go in and out. You can't expect yourself to be creative a hundred percent of your life. And like, I, I love the sentiment that is always repeated is like creative people need time to do nothing in order to be creative, yeah. taking days off to sit and stare at a wall and watch movies and read a book and go sit outside and laugh with your friends that's going to make you more creative. And so like, as much as like doing those things doesn't feel productive a lot of the time and you feel like, Oh God, there's still this task I need to get done. I need to create something. It's been so long, you know, um, at the end of the day, sometimes doing nothing is going to be more productive in the long run. Yeah. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And like, you just remind me of something that I've seen in, on Instagram, it was a post that said, see rest as a creative portal and I was like mm -hmm. that's yeah. right because every time that I'm going to go for a nap or just you know sleeping I'm like no wait I know what I want to do I want to have a conversation <laughs> and I want to you know all of these yeah. ideas are just flowing in my head and it's just important to rest as a creative person 100%. yeah Yeah. So uh, I wanted to talk to you about something like like all this podcast, but whatever. <laughs> like, what I found interesting with the concept of being content creator, or just you know the word itself, content creator, is that most of people forget that how to say that due to the digital side of things, people usually forget that it's an incredibly human job because you are literally displaying your being and your personality yeah. on the internet and without knowing you can become instantly like the scapegoat of trolls or just the figure of sisterhood for some people or just the friend that people don't have or just the reflection of insecurities for others and I know that it I don't know I think I can understand that this kind of pressure must have some kind of toll on one's person mental health and With all of these external opinions, whether it's good or bad, what helped you to find supportive and trustworthy friends within the industry? And what helped you to build a supportive community in general? Yeah, I mean, so I think two things have helped a lot because I have struggled a lot with uh, reading so many opinions about myself <laughs> on the internet. I think over the last year and a half of my life, that's been something that is like, I super struggled with both the good and the bad. because it's always like 99% good, 1% bad. And the bad is what gets me right. Like I, there have been some, you know, some of it you can brush off. Some of it's like, oh, ridiculous. And I can just sort of read it and be like, you know, that doesn't impact me, whatever anonymous accounts have something to say, but every now and again, somebody will write a comment that is like so mean and like hits me right where my insecurity is. Because that's the hard part about what I do online. I share so much of myself. I share so many things that I'm struggling with. I share a lot about my insecurities. People know how to hurt my feelings. And sometimes people do a great job at that. They consume enough of my content. They know exactly what to say to hurt my feelings and they, they do it. And, um, that 
it was really hard for me to not get hung up on every single comment that I was seeing. And I feel like it was like, you know, I would love creating my videos. And then on the day that I was planning to post, I'd have a pit in my stomach where I'd be like, Oh my God, am I going to have a bad day? Like, am I going to post this video? And then am I going to spend three hours crying? Cause someone's going to say something mean to me. I'm very sensitive. And that's always been part of myself. I've always been told that I was a sensitive person. <laughs> I know that I'm a sensitive person. And, um, so I started going to therapy in December and therapy has been a game changer for me <laughs> and like has been so helpful in this department of like allowing me to talk about the things that I'm reading online and how to process reading good things about yourself, but also bad things about yourself and how to like process that contrast inside your head when you're like, I'm sitting at home by myself, like in this whole process, I am alone. Like, I don't, you know, I don't have roommates. I'm, you know, I I have a ton of friends, but I'm, I'm usually by myself. Like I live most of my life alone. So how can I go through all of this by myself? And how can I process all of that and process such waves of intense good while I'm sitting here alone and also process waves of intense bad and therapy has been major. Um, having a therapist who's like had experience working with content creators and people that have had, uh, audiences has been helpful to me. Um, and the other part of it is my, my friends. I feel like most of my uh, friends are people that have known me since I was a kid. Um, my best friend specifically, her name is Ashley. We've been besties since we were seven years old. She has known every version of me. And I think especially the friends of mine that have like been with me through so many different seasons of life. Um, like they're the people that know me better than anyone. My sister, my parents, like these are people that like I always, this is morbid, but I always think like, (laughs) I always think like if I die, if I have like a, a sudden death and I'm gone, like what is the closest thing to me? What? So I always think like, you know, if I ever randomly pass away and I'm just not here anymore, I hope that people get to know my sister and my best friend, Ashley, because I think that those two people are the closest you can get to me on this earth. I hope that they are close to each other if I randomly die. These are the things I think about. I'm always like, I hope you two are like your besties once I'm gone because at the end of the day, like you two are the closest things to me on this earth. And I think that being able to process the things that I'm going through and what people are saying about me with people who have known me and like understand me so deeply and also would not bullshit me is so important because like these are people who they understand me they get me but also they're not going to lie to me so if I say something out of line if I do something out of character they're going to be the first people to be like Maddie check yourself and so I feel like very comfortable going to them to rely on them to seek comfort in them because I know that like at the end of the day they know me the best. They're going to be able to tell me like, don't let this hate comment get to you because we know you. And that's totally untrue about you. And they're wrong. And we know you better than they do. So we know that. Or if, you know, one of these days someone hits me with a hate comment that hurts my feelings, but maybe they got a point. I know that my friends are also going to be like, okay, well, maybe we need to think about this because they kind of have a point here. (laughs) So I feel like it's, it's nice to be able to have friends like that who I feel so comfortable with and that know me so deeply um, that can just like help me help to remind myself that like the internet at the end of the day despite how much I share still only knows a very small fraction of who I am and at the end of the day like the people that have known me since I was seven are always going to be able to give me a better take than the people who haven't (laughs) yeah yeah so at the end of the day, fuck trolls, love besties, yeah. and love therapy, okay? Like yeah, we are exactly. here for mental health. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about your future. What, yeah. what is the future of Magic Dress Bag? What do you visualize? 
So I love you asked this question because I've been thinking about it so much recently. Yes, yes. And I've been I've been thinking about it in the sense of like my whole life, I've always been like dreaming about this moment right here where I get to work for myself and be a full-time YouTuber and do this. And now that I have done this, there's a part of me that's like, well, what do you dream about now? Because this is what you were dreaming about since you were 13. You did it. So what's next? And, you know, I still have big dreams of more that I want to accomplish. I want to keep doing this. I want to grow this into something so much bigger. Um, I'd love to, you know, work in fashion someday and like create my own brand and um, sort of expand the work that I'm doing now and just get, you know, do bigger and better projects. Um, But honestly, for right now, I feel like I'm almost looking at it like, I have waited so long for this moment. I think I'm just going to sit in this moment for a little while and like enjoy the fact that like this mega dream of mine was just realized and just sort of sit in that. And so, you know, I have a lot of dreams and goals and aspirations, but I don't know that I have any super specific ones at the current moment. Right now, it just feels like I'm enjoying this present moment and, you know, a dream that is this many years in the making be in my reality. That's amazing. Like <laughs> really great that you can sit and relax and just enjoy what you did and what you've done and what yeah. you are doing. So that's great. Okay. So Maddie, we have covered a lot today. <laughs> so thank you for having uh, for having me like in your bubble and just taking the time to share with me all of your journey and just one question because I think I forgot earlier like at the beginning how are you (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing great I'm having a great week how are you (laughs) I'm great how's the vibe in New York beautiful amazing we're in the fall I'm happiness is on 10 right now (laughs) I'm sorry I was thinking about that did I tell how are you (laughs) no that's so funny yeah so thank you Maddie again yeah thank you so much this was so much fun your questions were so thoughtful I feel like you made me think about so much today I feel like I love having like a good conversation that really gets my brain going and makes me think. So you just, you gave me so much to think about. And um, yeah, it was just so much fun. Thank you so much. Yeah. All right, people, that's it for today's episode. I want to thank again, Maddie for sharing with me her journey and her story. And thank you to you listeners to listening this far. If you want to know more about Maddie, just check in the bio and I will see you for the next series of creative. Bye.